EU Futures Podcast, a project of the Center for the Study of Europe at Boston University. Welcome to the EU Futures Podcast, exploring the emerging future in Europe. I'm Olia Jordanian, an outreach coordinator at BU Center for the Study of Europe. Today is November 21st, and I talked to Dr. Nicolas Prevelakis, a lecturer in social studies at Harvard University, a co-chair of a European Union study group at Harvard University's Center for European Studies. So uh, I'm Nicolas Prevelakis, uh, and... Uh, I am based in Boston. I'm a lecturer on social studies uh, at Harvard. Uh, I teach uh, uh, social and political theory and also a class on globalization and nationalism. Uh, I've done work on religion and politics, and I'm also the co-chair of a study group uh, on the European Union uh, at the Center for European Studies. I also work with the Center for Hellenic Studies, uh, also belongs to Harvard, and we do a lot of programs in Greece. What's the future emerging in the European Union? Uh, so thank you, thank you for the question. Uh, it's a big question and it's a, it's a tough one. Uh, it's very tough to say. I think if you were to ask anyone a few years ago, uh, you would probably get a much more confident uh, answer. Uh, right now, the European Union is in the midst of uh, a series of crises, uh, each one of, uh, of which um, alone uh, would be serious, but the, the, all of them combined uh, create a lot of uncertainty. Uh, so there's the Eurozone crisis, uh, which, as we know, um, uh, has started, um, has been going on for many years now, and it's still not over. Uh, many uh, countries like Greece, where I come from, uh, are still struggling uh, and are facing um, uh, depression. Uh, there's still uh, not a clear path uh, towards uh, exit um, from that crisis, and it doesn't appear to be uh, an immediate uh, answer uh, in the horizon. Uh, and that's, so that's one. Uh, the second is obviously the refugee crisis, which is much broader than um, Europe and than the European Union, but which has affected the European uh, Union considerably uh, and has shown uh, one of the contradictions of the European Union, uh, that is uh, the lack of uh, a single perspective on that issue and uh, a lot of burden being placed on uh, uh, nation states and of course has contributed to the rise of Euroscepticism and nationalism in the region. Uh, and of course it's not over and it's not, uh, not even about to be uh, over. Uh, and of course the third that uh, we didn't expect was Brexit, uh, which again was a blow to the European project. It's the first time where, where we have such a pushback. Uh, and so the future does look uh, uncertain indeed. Now, uh, if this wasn't enough, I think we're... Uh, now may be facing a make-or-break kind of moment uh, because we have the Italian referendum uh, coming soon and uh, it's not clear what the result is going to be. Uh, it's, not, it's not impossible. In fact, it's quite likely that uh, Renzi might lose uh, and we don't know what that means. Uh, and then we have... Can you elaborate a little bit more about the Italian referendum? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the referendum in itself is not, I think, that important for that particular... Um, uh, issue. What is important is that uh, Matteo Renzi has said that if he were to lose the referendum, uh, which is uh, very possible uh, if one trusts polls, he might resign. Uh, and uh, that resignation might uh, create a lot of uncertainty in a country where, again, uh, Eurosceptic movements uh, are rising. So that would be, again, uh, a pushback against, uh, um, against the European project. 
Not, so that is Italy. And, but then the next, what I think is actually the most important one, uh, is the French elections, the French presidential elections uh, at the end of April, uh, where uh, you have obviously a lot of uh, candidates, but uh, the Front National, that is the extreme right party, has been rising um, steadily for years now. Uh, and all the polls now show that um, uh, its uh, leader, uh, Marine Le Pen, will be uh, in the second round uh, of, the, um, of the presidential elections. Now, uh, if she were to win the presidential elections, that might actually signal the end of the EU because she has said repeatedly uh, that in that case she would negotiate some kind of exit of France from the European Union. And it's hard to imagine, I think, uh, how the whole um, project could survive without France. Um, so, um, on the other hand, what we could also be seeing in the coming months, and it's still too early to know, uh, is some kind of awakening. And I'm thinking of the, uh, uh, of the other big issue right now on the table, which is the election of Donald Trump in the United States, uh, and uh, all his statements that he has made, that he would rethink uh, the U.S. position in the world, the U.S. position vis-à-vis -vis NATO, uh, and also uh, the U.S. position vis-à-vis -vis the European Union. That might actually uh, send a signal to the European Union that uh, if it doesn't put itself together now, it will be, uh, things are going to be much, much harder for uh, individual nation states. So that, again, that might be a wake-up call. I'm saying this because I, I was following, actually, uh, debates in France uh, uh, last week, and I've seen this narrative uh, emerge. Uh, that might be that might be a, a good thing for the EU, but overall, I think we are in a period of big uh, uncertainty. And anyone who would uh, pretend to know or predict the future, I think, would be um, lying to himself. How should citizens behave in this time of uncertainty? What what's their role in kind of trying to mitigate all the challenges and difficulties that this uncertainty is naturally bringing? Mm -hmm. in? That is again also uh, that is also a very tough question uh, because very often in these um, situations uh, citizens tend to react emotionally uh, and very often irrationally and uh, or or go back and forth uh, and I think what is what is important is first of all to um, understand before acting uh, and uh, and if this if there was a moment where taking a step back and trying to understand what's going on uh, is important I think it is now. Uh, I've seen, for instance, in my, again in my country where I come from, I've seen in Greece um, a lot of uncertainty uh, uh, due to the economic crisis in Greece and the way it has been not resolved uh, in the last years. Uh, and uh, there was a big emotional moment uh, last year where the uh, Greek people really thought that they could push back against the politics of austerity uh, and renegotiate the agreement. Uh, and uh, that gave a lot of hope to a, to a lot of people, and it failed. Uh, and the fact that it failed created a, even more resentment, even more um, depression, uh, and, uh, and without much uh, being won. And I'm, what I'm afraid now is that all this uncertainty is going to um, create the desire for easy answers. Uh, and uh, so I think it's a moment for reflection, actually. You started talking about Greece and the Greek mm -hmm. crisis and austerity. How do you see what's kind of, if you would have to take a decision and kind of 
get a solution to this problem, how would you treat it? How would, what kind of solution mm -hmm. would you... Um, well, it's the, the problem is it's not, obviously it's not a Greek problem at this point. Uh, it's, a, it's a European problem, if, if not broader. Uh, and uh, there's obviously, uh, there's obviously a problem with the politics of austerity. Uh, I think it's clear that alone they don't work. Uh, obviously, uh, Greece is needed to do some adjustments, and some of these have been done now. Uh, obviously, there are a lot of reforms that need to be done uh, in the way the state functions. Uh, there's a modernization of the state that needs to happen. Um, the, uh, uh, on the other hand, austerity alone obviously uh, goes up to a certain point, uh, and uh, there, needs to, there needs to be some broader discussion, obviously, about the debt. Uh, and uh, with the uh, uh, size of it is enormous. Uh, and so there needs to be a discussion about debt restructuring. That has been on the table for some time, but it's, it's difficult politically. Uh, and uh, there also has to be a broader discussion about uh, the Eurozone in general. That is the fact that there's still no banking union, uh, the fact that the currency um, seems to be counterproductive uh, for uh, many countries uh, in the South, uh, and um, the Eurozone in general is caught uh, in a weird situation where it's not a full uh, economic union, uh, uh, but it has the, uh, the single currency. This is the bro bro these are broad problems about the structure of the Eurozone that were evident from the very beginning. Many economists have pointed them out, uh, and uh, they are still um, uh, unresolved. Uh, but I don't think it's a question of, for technocrats. It's a question for broader... Uh, for a broader democratic uh, discussion within the European Union. Including, okay. a, including a public conversation about the issue? I think it, it should be. I mean, look, the, when, the, when the referendum happened in Greece, uh, and um, so Greece rejected the politics of austerity and then still had to sign the, um, a new memorandum, uh, the way the um, issue was portrayed in Greece was a clash between democracy, that is the will of the Greek people, uh, and then the um, European structures that didn't allow um, uh, for uh, respect for the will of the people. In reality, this is not exactly the case. What you had was uh, a clash of public opinions. That is, there was what the Greek people have decided. And then there were the political realities uh, and the public opinion in Germany and the public opinion in, in, uh, in France and all the other uh, European countries. And... So I think part of the problem is that uh, these public opinions were formed independently uh, of each other and the narratives of the crisis had been very different from one country to the other. There had been, I think, an honest public discussion from the very beginning uh, about the structural elements of this crisis. Things would have been much different um, from then on. How would you assess the current state of democracy in Europe? I think, again, the... Um, the EU is suffering from being in this, um, in this midway, not exactly a federation and not exactly a, a collection of nation-states. Uh, for good or for bad reasons, uh, democracy has historically been associated with a nation-state. Uh, and that is uh, true in many um, countries in, uh, of the European Union. And it's actually even stronger, perhaps, uh, in um, what some Americans call the New Europe, that is Eastern European countries, who saw the entry to the European Union uh, as part of their way to uh, uh, regain sovereignty. And so whenever um, 
either crisis or something important happens and people think about democracy, they still think of it as within the boundaries of the nation state. Uh, and the, the association of democracy with the European Union is something that has not happened. Uh, there's been a lot of hope that the increase of communication within the EU uh, would create a generation of Europeans that would see things differently. And in part, it is happening. If you look at the younger generation, they feel more European, they feel more invested. Uh, they do see their interests as intertwined and interconnected with what is happening in other European countries. But still, I think for most people, especially uh, of a certain age and above, um, democracy still lies within, uh, within the nation state. That is, that is the, again, the one problem that I think the European Union has not been able to, uh, uh, to overcome. Question in yes. regard to your statement about uh, young Europeans. By mm -hmm. saying that, do you mean that some sort of European identity is being formed among young people in Europe, mm -hmm. or it's too early to make this kind of judgment? I, mean, I think it is too early to make these judgments, and I also think that yes, they, they, there is some some sense of Europeanness uh, among uh, uh, among the youth. Uh, I think you can see this in different value surveys and uh, uh, and polls. Uh, the problem is that this doesn't translate yet into a more active participation. That is, it's not the case that uh, young people would en masse uh, go and vote at the European elections, for instance. So even though I think they do feel uh, European, uh, they do not associate this with uh, some active political uh, engagement. This is one thing. The second is there are moments where this European uh, identity in general um, grows and uh, others where it declines. Uh, so one moment where I, I, I think we could see a, a more robust European identity was actually during the war in Iraq, uh, where there was a sense of Europeanness um, uh, as a distinct area from um, the United States at the time. Uh, in recent years, uh, I think the European Union has been more associated with division, uh, division between the North and the South, but also division between the East and the West, uh, rather than a common alliance against uh, a common enemy or a common, you know, um, different partner of sorts. You talked a little bit about the election of Donald Trump as the president of the United States at the beginning of mm -hmm. our conversation. Uh, if you would look at, 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 a broader, at a broader scale, what influence can that have on further development or further state of democracy in Europe? Mm -hmm. So again, it's tough, one, because we don't know uh, what um, Donald Trump's policy will be. Uh, it's, it's way too early, so we, we are just doing speculations. The second is that the, because the message of these elections has, has been different um, for different people in Europe. So some people actually uh, connect the, the election of Donald Trump uh, with Brexit and with a general trend um, against globalization, whatever uh, that might mean. Uh, and uh, this reinforces Euroscepticism in the European Union. They interpret this as a return of the nation-state. Uh, and uh, so people like Marine Le Pen, for instance, in, in France, have uh, drawn a lot of hope uh, precisely for that reason. They saw their movement as part of the same battle. Uh, others have drawn, of course, the exact um, opposite conclusion. Uh, that is that now is the moment for Europe, for the European Union, to reassert itself uh, and become independent. Uh, that is the case because um, many people expect uh, a, a, a less important commitment of the United States towards Europe's security. So that means that 
now is the moment for the European Union to actually think about its security uh, independently. Uh, so we'll see. I think it's way, way too early to tell. Very good. What role can citizens play in impacting political processes at, at an EU level? and kind of shaping its future? Mm -hmm. uh, that is also, it's, a, it's, a, it's an important question, and I wish I could um, have easy answers, like, oh, they should vote. And I'm also always um, afraid of the should answers, uh, because we, we can tell people what they should do, it, then it doesn't make much difference if they do it or not. Uh, I think in the last years we've seen a lot of crisis in uh, Europe. We've, we've also seen the resilience uh, of the European project, uh, not in manifested in, in, the, in voting, for instance, uh, but in the sense that in crucial moments, uh, the European Union has moved forward at least so far. Uh, now, I've seen a lot of grassroots projects going on, uh, and that gave me some optimism. And I'm mentioning Greece uh, because I've seen them in Greece during the crisis, during a, um, a period of a lot of Euroscepticism in Greece. Uh, I saw a lot of initiatives uh, that ha um, had to do with engagement and with um, European projects. And I'm mentioning one of them that I know... Uh, is a project called Teachers for Europe, and that is an initiative of uh, independent teachers uh, who thought of introducing uh, European topics in their classroom. Uh, that was on a volunteer basis. They weren't uh, paid anything more. And so what they did is, at the one hand, introduce the topic of the European Union to um, uh, their classrooms, but also engage in a conversation with other cities, other teachers across Europe, uh, and use that as a platform to think about what the European Union means for them and for the younger generation. So as a way to appropriate the meaning uh, of the European Union. I think that's that kind of grassroots projects that, that you can see, or European clubs of different sorts, a lot of them have to do with the youth, uh, and, uh, and that seem to be actually working. And my last question, yes. what kind of Europe would you, what kind of future would you like to see in Europe? Your mm -hmm. Well, I think Europe is at a crossroads now, uh, and it's clear that a lot of the problems that it's facing uh, cannot be solved within the, its current structure. Uh, and um, I think it's facing a, a moment where either it will go back or it will move forward. My hope is that it, it does move forward uh, towards more, uh, more unity, more consolidation, uh, now, one issue is that um, Europe has expanded significantly uh, in the last years, and that has increased the tensions. Uh, and it's tough to um, do more consolidation when you have enlargement at the same time. Uh, I think there is a consensus for the enlargement to stop at least or pause at this point. Uh, and there are some interesting debates about doing some kind of uh, consolidation of maybe the Eurozone countries first and then spread outside. But my hope is that, uh, again, all these, all these crises are one more push towards more Europe. Is there anything yeah. I didn't ask you about that, that you, want, you would like to talk about? Um, no, I think that... But thank you very, very much for, the, for this conversation. I think it was very interesting for me to participate in it. Thank you, thank you yes. so much. Thank you.
You've been listening to the EU Futures Podcast, a project of the Center for the Study of Europe at Boston University, funded by a Getting to Know Europe grant from the European Commission delegation in Washington, D.C.